Welcome back to Ravens Recap. Guys, free agency's here. It is an arms race here in the AFC. We're here to talk about it, talk about all of the Ravens' new pickups, all the pickups around the AFC North and, and the rest of the AFC. Joined here, as always, with uh, my boys, Peter and Alec. How you doing, guys? I'm doing great, Chris. You know, I'm loving life, listening to, uh, you know, Ravens fans, uh, the roller coaster of emotion that I'm seeing on Twitter from when we were signing at the beginning of the arms race and everyone being like, Ooh, we looking good. This is amazing. To like now that there's been a couple days that they haven't gotten their hit of uh, a player, even though that today somebody was signed, but that was a very divisive signing, <laughs> so to speak. But I'm just loving the discourse. You know, I look at this team and I say that they're pretty good. I feel, I feel decent about going into the year. I think there's more to be done both in the free agency and the draft. And we'll talk about it, but I'm very pleased with the way that the team's building right now and uh, confident that the cost is going to put out a product that can go and win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, really no complaints from how the Ravens have started out this free agency period. Uh, We're going to get into it, but they hit um, some areas of real need uh, with some great signings, great contracts, uh, players who are, you know, for the most part, still in the prime of their career. Um, brought back Pat Ricard, uh, who has a unique role in this offense. Um, understandably, some fans have questions about, are we giving up too much money for a guy like that? But, you know, I, I think that the Ravens, you know, it, it took them a day or two to get started in free agency, but they knew what they were doing all along and they got their guys for the most part. We'll talk about that as well. But yeah, great start. Absolutely excellent start to the offseason by the Ravens. Yeah, I think the first guy, I mean, we have to talk about uh, is Marcus Williams. Um, I'll admit, when I first heard the news, I was not upset, but I like not as excited, I think. It probably was not the guy um, that I initially expected. I mean, I mentioned Tyron Matthew a few times, I think, on the pod, and thinking I, I, I thought he would be a great fit. Marcus Williams, I think, is just really interesting because he is that second contract player that the Ravens don't usually go for. And when I heard we got him for it, was it five years, 70, $72 million deal or something? Mm-hmm. Um, initially, I was like, holy crap, Like that's you know a lot of money, um, especially for the Ravens. And uh, it, it's just a very you know uncharacteristic signing. But thinking about it a little bit more, it's just I'm – I'm definitely optimistic just knowing that, you know, hey, wait a minute, the Ravens have never really taken a chance on a young player like this in free agency. And if he were to hit, I mean, we'd have him for the next five years. I mean, that's fantastic, right? Um, It's just I think the potential is definitely there for, you know, if, if he gels with the rest of the secondary. I mean, one, I think it elevates the secondary. But two, we have him for a pretty long time as a Raven. And so... I think, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of come around to it a little bit and thinking this is probably a pretty good signing. Yeah, I'm absolutely pumped for this signing. Um, I understand that a lot of the fan base was interested in uh, Tyron Mateo, who is still out there, I believe, at least as of time of recording. Um, and I don't know, I, I wouldn't have been mad if the Ravens had gotten him, but I just, again, like like you, Chris already said, you would we always want to see the Ravens bring in these younger guys, these guys who are closer to their prime. Um, if you can get them right in their prime, like they're going here, that's that's the dream. Um, 
this guy has been part of a Saints secondary uh, early in his career that's been uh, very, very good over the past few seasons. Um, this guy's picked off Tom Brady multiple times in his career. You got to love that. He gives the Ravens a true free safety, which is something that they've been missing quite a bit. Again, we talked about that last pod. Uh, after Ed Reed retired, the Ravens kind of um, kept trying to replace and bring in, you know, guys who really weren't free safeties to play free safety. Uh, Tony Jefferson, we brought him in. Uh, he's back now, and he's playing in the role that he really is, which wasn't free safety, um, you know. And, you know, they tried Darius Webb at free safety. That didn't work. So then what do you do? You go out in 2019, you get Earl Thomas. From a football standpoint, he solidifies that for you, and you have a true rangy safety back there, but then obviously that didn't work out. Um, they tried to pair Chuck Clark and Deshaun Elliott together. Again, you're missing the range there, and now you got the range back with um, with Williams. Um, the, the upside for this move is, is huge. Um, obviously, we'll have to see how he gels with the team and if he's really as good outside of New Orleans as he was there. But uh, th- right now, like this is, this has the potential to be one of the best free agent signings the Ravens have made in club history. I think I'm glad you hit on that, Peter. I do think this deal has the potential to be a deal where people think of Marcus Williams, future hall of famer as a Raven, right? Like, I mean, he has that level of skill. I mean, it, I'm not trying to be, I don't know if that's really going to happen. I, I put it at like 20% that he has that chance. But like, I mean, he's a very, very good player. He's one of the top ranked players in free agency. People weren't thinking we would go to him because of how much he would command in free agency. Ravens, though, get a great deal. Uh, this deal is like the same level of a safety deal signed two years ago before the cap uh, constraints and uh, still for like the top safety in the class. The guy has insane measurables uh, from a like you know, uh, statistics perspective. He was only targeted 18 times last year, (laughs) which I mean, it just makes me laugh, right? Like one time a game, people dared to throw his way. And then they were like, not no more than (laughs) I'm done. That's it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he, he had 15 interceptions so far in his career in the same time frame. Uh, all the Raven safeties have had like, I think 14 or something ridiculous. Like, so by himself, he's getting those picks. He breaks up a ton of passes. If he doesn't get hands, uh, you know, a pick on it, he gets hands on the ball. Incredible range. The other thing that's really interesting is that the Ravens won this guy back in the draft. They said that they liked him a lot and they've been keeping an eye on him. So he's one of those players that we've always had an affinity towards. And for everyone thinking about Earl Thomas, who was another huge signing, but a third contract player, free safety, played well, but then became a, a culture fit problem. This guy is the exact opposite. Apparently, he doesn't curse, right? Like he's like the ultimate team player. He's just like very all about the game. Very uh, like I don't know, good, good hearted. I don't know the best way to put it, but just like uh, teammates seem to love him. He's just very well behaved, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm just I'm thrilled about this guy. I he's mean, he's got all the Boy Scout badges. He got every Boy Scout badge <laughs> and twice over. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, this is that star that Voss was talking about last week that multiplies the people around him. You see the Rams, they have Aaron Donald, and they lose their defensive tackles all the time, their defensive linemen. They get comp picks because they're performing well, and they're not that great You know, when they get to their next place because they don't have an all Hall of Famer next to them. 
you know, taking all that attention and, and, and force multiplying. I think Marcus Williams really has the potential to be that force multiplier for Chuck Clark and for um, Brandon Stevens, who no longer needs to play like a free safety role. And he can be that Swiss army knife that he was in college. I mean, this is awesome, man. I think this pickup completely changes the defense um, on the back end. And, you know, with Mike McDonald coming in, I think you can expect some serious changes. And I think a lot more turnovers are going to come from this because you can have guys like Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters take gambles because they know Marcus Williams is there to cover their back. Like you said, I like the more I, I think about this, I think the more I'm, I'm kind of liking this signing. Um, you know, one of one of my initial concerns, I think, I mean, as you guys all know, right, um, the Ravens since Ed Reed left has spent a ton of money in free agency on trying to find other safeties. I mean, he, Peter, you kind of brought it up earlier about all the different guys that you mentioned uh, bringing it on as Ravens. And uh, just tons of money. I mean, Jefferson got a ton of money. Earl Thomas got a ton of money. Uh, we spent a lot of free agency dollars on trying to find this free safety. But, you know, so that was kind of one of my concerns, I guess, is that, okay, well, now we're spending more money and, you know, what if he's not a fit? But the more I kind of think about it, like, he's a young player, he's an ascending player, he's not that third contract guy, we have him for five years, it seems like this is almost money more well worth spent, you know, because there's more potential for this to be a a guy who sticks around even maybe after those five years are up, right, as long as he hits, um, and as long as, you know, obviously the whole unit plays well, I, th- I think I, I kind of like it from that angle. And yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what you said too, Alec. I, I think the most important thing is that the front office has been clear that we need to have a free safety back there. We've needed it for many years. And we've already known the last year, Chuck Clark, not really that guy. Brandon Stevens, not really that guy. Deshaun Elliott, not really that guy. I mean, you're absolutely right. Marcus Williams is that guy and he can allow those other two uh, guys and, and Chuck Clark and and uh, Brandon Stevens to do what they do best and play in roles where we know that at least today they have exceeded at. So yeah, from that, I, I think from that perspective alone, I, I think I think it has a definitely great potential. Another area of need that the Ravens have is the offensive tackle position. Uh, we talked extensively about that last episode. Obviously, Ronnie Stanley coming back from his injury uh, and bunch of question marks even at the position after that uh so the next signing the ravens made bring in a vet morgan moses uh well known as a right tackle in this league um it's been around for a while but i'll admit i don't know too much about the guy but he's been a rock of consistency everywhere he's gone from what i've read uh highly durable uh hasn't missed many games if, if any in his career i could be wrong about the any part and yeah, I mean, you look at this move again, we're talking about bringing more veteran leadership to the right side of the line parallel with Zeitler. And, you know, it, I, I have to wonder if his durability is something else that the Ravens looked at with this signing and one thought of that as another positive for this. You know, maybe he'll be able to give some tips as they're doing their workouts. You know, this guy's knows how to keep his body fit and uh, how to not break down throughout the season. So very savvy signing here by the Ravens, I think. Not the splash signing like Marcus Williams, but I think a very solid signing that should help solidify the line. I love it, man. You know, Morgan Moses, consistent player, doesn't get hurt too often. And this guy enables the Ravens not have to worry about reaching for an offensive tackle, in my opinion. 
if one falls at 14 that they love, they can take him, and that's fine. But they don't need to feel the need to like make that pick happen, even in the first or second round, in my opinion, anymore. So this really opens things up. I think he's a great player who just, you know, he's from the area. He wants to be a Raven, I think, to end his career, play meaningful football. He said that a lot during his presser. And go get a ring. And that's exactly the kind of guy we want to bring in for the Ravens. And he just he's a good player, man. This is this is great. Like this position has a lot of variables in it, and adding one more solid player reduces them. I gotta admit it's definitely interesting that the Ravens decided to sign him so quickly. I think the tackle market has moved pretty slowly overall. Um, it wasn't until Leo Collins was picked up by the Bengals just the other day. Um, I think Moses was the first tackle, and at that point, I think maybe the only tackle that had been picked up. Um, so I do, I do think it's interesting that they went with Moses. Um, I mean, I guess I just have to wonder if the Ravens really just saw his availability and his, um, you know, his uh, flexibility. Right, Moses has played right tackle. He has played a little bit of left tackle. Um, so he can kind of step into both roles. He even talked about that in this presser that he's like, hey, if, if Ronnie's not able to go, I can slide in there. I'll do what I can. But if not, you know, I'm there to compete for the right tackle, you know, job just like everybody else. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's interesting. I mean, I'm hoping for the best. I hope out of all the tackles that were available, that was the right move to make. But, yeah, I, I kind of have to wonder with you, Alec, of, you know, maybe the Ravens could have spent more money on a more proven option but maybe the move was just to pick up Moses. He gives you that flexibility to put in either spot and he's okay. You know, he may not be like the the greatest tackle that would have been on the market, but the key is kind of the flexibility. And now that gives Eric DaCosta options for what he wants to do in the first, second round of this year's draft. Right. Yeah. I think he said it all. I mean, the biggest thing it gives them right. And and maybe this is why they did it so quickly is it does take some pressure off in the draft. Um, pretty sure Alex said this in one of our chats, you know, it, it gives them more freedom to do best player available um, rather than, you know, the pressure of having to take a tackle high um, because you have a contingency plan that projects to be um, pretty well uh, going into the season. Um, now I, I would understand if some Ravens fans have some trepidation about this signing because we just saw the Ravens last season pay money for an aging tackle, uh, an Alejandro Villanueva, um, uh, Moses is is thirty one, I believe. Villanueva was thirty two last year, um, but I mean Zeitler's up there too. Zeitler's thirty two this year, so um, you know it's old, but there's certainly offensive linemen who have played at a high level in their early thirties. Um, so yeah, I mean I, I think you got to look at it a little differently when you look at that those situations. Uh, Villanueva should have been a little bit of a red flag to us. Uh, he was a longtime left tackle on a very good organization who that organization let go when you were trying to make one last run with your Hall of Fame quarterback. Kind of gives you a red flag. Whereas with Moses, you know, the Jets dropped him. The Jets are in rebuild mode. They don't necessarily need of that right tackle at this point. So from that standpoint, you know, it looks better than the Villanueva signing just from looking at what, you know, what were the circumstances beyond these two players not being re-signed by their teams. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see how, how he does, but um, you know, worst case scenario, he gives the Ravens some 
flexibility as far as what they want to do um, with addressing tackle depth uh, or a future starter in this upcoming draft. And best case scenario, you know, he's uh, just as good as, as Kevin Zeitler was for this line last year and solidifies the right side. Yeah, I mean, obviously Marcus Williams is just a better player, so I'm more excited about that. But I was super hyped about Morgan Moses, and I think that's why uh, Ravens fans were just like really elated because we got the Marcus Williams news, the Morgan Moses news, um, you know, back to back, and then we got a little bit more news right afterwards. There was, was more news, but it was fake news. Oh man, <laughs> I blocked this news out of my mind. <laughs> but the fake news was that Darius Smith was going to join the Ravens, and everyone was getting very excited for this reunion tour. And th- this was peak hysteria for the Ravens fan base. Everyone was elated. Uh, we got him at a team-friendly deal, it seemed, uh, with escalators to make it such that if he was the, you know, Zadarius, that he was pre-injury, that he would, you know, still make good money. And then the next day comes, and it's not like anything official. The Ravens don't say anything. They have their conference with Marcus Williams and Moses, and like, well, we wanted to focus on these guys, but we'll talk about any future signings. And then, boom. I was I was thinking that was a little mysterious and not great, but I wasn't on Twitter. Apparently, a few others also caught the tone in EDC's voice to suggest that maybe something was amiss. And sure enough, uh, Zadarius uh, did not want to be part of this deal anymore. Uh, he saw some other big names get bigger deals elsewhere, so he went back to the market. And it seems like the Ravens are not going to be uh, extending an offer to Zadarius after finding that his market maybe is not as strong as he thought. Because he is still a free agent as of today, <laughs> so uh, that might have been a big L for Visitarius. We'll talk about another guy who may have taken a big L, um, not coming back to the Ravens. And uh, yeah, it's really unfortunate to see that this happened to the Ravens. But candidly, they still have space to do moves uh, because they didn't do this move. And I think like we could see a near equivalent move. Uh, maybe other moves that happened as well would have happened um, if this happened. So I think. You know, I'm not I'm not too bo- um, I'm not too upset about it to be honest because I had really major concerns that Zadarius would not be the same player. We know that injury is nasty, and uh, you know I, I obviously hope that he is as a human and player, but I didn't have that confidence. I was like, oh wow, the Ravens are giving him the bag. They must know something about his medicals that we don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe there is something amiss now that other teams aren't you know hopping on that. Yeah, I was shocked when that news came through that the Ravens had signed Zadarius for for that contract. I I mean, that was a bargain on the Ravens' side if it had gone through. Um, I did not think that they would be able to get someone of Zadarius Smith's uh, tenure that cheap. And it was surprising that Zadarius was taking what seemed to me to be a hometown discount for your X team <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. before I, I looked at what you know what the going rate was uh, for pass rushers at that point in free agency and I was like oh wow that's surprising teams aren't going in um, but then yeah um, the market kind of you know reset itself I think with the Von Miller signing right was that that was the one that kicked <sighs> the values back up for pass rushers that was ri- ri- ridiculous I mean I, I think that's also a lesson of why you can't just give like years in a number anymore. Like it's all about guaranteed money and like, you know, are there void years and stuff like that. But right. it's basically the Joe Flacco contract. If you just consider the numbers. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. insane yeah. for his what? Third, fourth contract. I mean, Von Miller has been around a long time. 
Yeah, that was that was crazy what the Bills gave him there. But um, yeah, I mean, it would have been great to have Zedarius here. But yeah, I I I was surprised when he backed out. But at the same time, I was looking at that deal originally. I was like, I I, I knew something was up, but I think I was just too uh, invested mentally in too many other things going on that day to really yeah. <laughs> to really notice what I was thinking. And then when he backed out, I was like, and I was like, okay, in retrospect, that made sense. It's interesting because those guys like Chandler Jones as well, who got like a three-year, fifty-one million dollar deal that I think like spurred him over. There were a couple guys like I think in his tier plus. That's kind of what gets me about the whole situation is that the guys that got signed for this bigger money felt like tier plus to what he was for no other reason than the injury concern. Mm-hmm. Um, like you know what he was before, like yeah, sure, like that's that's your deal. But I mean, you haven't proved it yet, man. Like I. I I mean, it sucks. Like, I'm not, like, advocating for this, but, you know, he was getting less money because they weren't sure. But the thing that's interesting about Chandler Jones's contract is you look at it at 3 for 51, that's what he had. Like, you know, he had something very similar to that with the uh, escalation clauses. I don't know what the escalations were, but, yeah. I I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up with less money at this point. I mean, there was rumors that he would go to the Jets, but that hasn't actually, like, happened yet. So, I don't know, but... He's doing his own thing now, and I think like he, his chance to be in a Ravens uniform again is almost zero now. I think that um, we'll talk about it with other signings. It seems like the Ravens almost have to make an example out of players when they uh, don't choose to take their deals, so that they have negotiating power down the line. Um, you know, if you always have that deal available later on, it, it makes less reason to sign it, so to speak. Right? If we want to talk about Ravens reunions. One of them did actually happen. Michael Pierce is coming back for three years, $16.5 million. I think uh, I'm pretty excited about this signing. I think this is the guy that maybe the Ravens should have extended in the first place over Brandon Williams. He brings a little bit more pass rush skill. And uh, I I think this is a good way to address the defensive line. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's okay. I got to admit, my reaction, I think, was more lukewarm. Um I mean, the good news is, like, look, it's you know, it's, it's a fairly reasonable contract, three years, sixteen point five million. Um, I actually can't remember if we know if there's a void year on the end of it or not. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's not that much money. It's certainly not the Brandon Williams, you know, five year contract or whatever that we offered him and restructured and restructured and restructured over and over and over again. So you know, it's not that much investment, I think, for the Ravens. I, I do agree. You know, there's a little bit more upside from him and his youth and and pass rush ability than Brandon Williams had. So there's a little bit more of a positive there. On the other hand, I mean, I know when Pierce was with the Ravens, he always had trouble with his weight. Obviously hoping that that's not the issue. Uh, Now that we're giving him a little bit more money (laughs) than we were his first stint here, you know, that could be a problem with just his conditioning overall. But I mean, at the same, you know, on the same hand too, you know, Pierce is not, I don't think he's an every down player. You know, I, I think he's probably going to be, you know, swapped out for, you know, a pass rusher on a third down or something, uh, depending on what packages McDonald wants to run. You know, it'll be good from the run-stopping perspective. The Ravens still want to be able to do that on some downs, but you know, other than that, like I don't, I don't, I, I don't think he's going to have like you know a, a Pro Bowl year or anything uh, as a nose tackle for us. I don't, I don't really think that that's his ceiling, to be honest. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting signing. Um... He only played eight games for Minnesota last season. Um, had a career high in sacks, though, with three. 
and then didn't play with Minnesota in 2020, which was his first season on the team. So uh, it's kind of funny. Yeah, he, he uh, played eight games for Minnesota, and now he's back in Baltimore. So only eight games away from the purple and black, and now he's back there. We'll see what we get from him. He's 29 right now. Still be 29. He's a November birthday. So, you know, if he was north of 30, I think I'd be really concerned about can this guy even bring anything at this stage in his career. Um, I will also say, though, even though he only played half a year last year, I was impressed that he was, you know, he actually had a really good season. Um, I know when he opted out of the um, 2020 season due to um, concerns with his personal um, medical uh, in relation to if he had caught COVID, um, you know, I, I've respected that he had to do that, but I, I had to wonder in my back of my mind, like we're talking about with his weight, I was like, a guy like that, is he going to come back in football shape or is he going to just come back too big and his body just out of the game, not going to be able to, to play? But um, yeah, I mean, looks like he, he came back and picked up where he left off uh, in some fashion. He's obviously a huge body, tough to run against. Uh, he can give you some interior pass rush, which is great. Of the two, I, yeah, I would have rather had Darius, but you know he comes in at a, at a cheaper price tag, so that will allow the Ravens to do an extra move that maybe they wouldn't have been able to do uh, if they had signed Darius. So, yeah, I mean it's an intriguing move, um, but I agree it's one that you know kind of seems like a coin flip of how well it's going to work out for the Ravens right now. Yeah, it certainly doesn't replace the Zedarius move, but it might be um, in addition to. This is definitely one of those pickups that is more of a um, mid-money to mid-guys that Voss was talking about. So definitely keep an eye on this and see how big of an impact player Pierce is. Um, I don't overall hate it, but I, I get I can get the trepidation amongst the fan base about it, uh, particularly when you have like a sexy name like Zedarius slip away. Yeah, I, th- I think it comes down to, as well, it's just like the Ravens have gotten away with some really cheap contracts, uh, vet contracts on the defensive line over the years. I mean, Clayus Campbell, I think, would probably be the exception. Um, but Derek Wolf didn't get all that much money. Um, but he also talked about um, Justin Ellis. I mean, he was a vet minimum the last couple of years. You know, we really haven't spent that much money. I mean, Jihad Ward, you know, even he was kind of a linebacker, defensive line kind of hybrid. Um didn't spend all that much money on him either. And, like, we got some production from them. I mean, I, I do think it'll be interesting, right? I mean, there's, you know, there's there's kind of one lens of just, like, yeah, we spent more a lot more money on Michael Pierce, who isn't that much better than those guys, um, which, you know, may or may not be true. I, I think maybe the more interesting question is whether the impact he's going to have is bigger or not. And I think that could be unique in that, if he does have a little bit more pass rush, he can eat up more of those blockers in pass rushing situations. Maybe could create more one-on-one matchups for the guys on the outside, uh, which would be helpful, um, especially if we don't have any news on this yet. But if we were to resign Calais Campbell um, or bring another one of those guys back, like having both of them, having two guys that can eat up two blockers on the inside, or at least when they're one-on-one matchups, uh, would be pretty interesting. And it would help the guys on the outside as well. So, um, I, I hope that's what the Ravens are banking on. Um, I could I could see it working from that angle, but um, but yeah, I mean certainly I think everybody here would have preferred to have Sidarius because we know that he could play on the inside or outside and he'd feast on those matchups. So we're recording on uh, Monday, the twenty first, 
And this morning I got dressed, as one does, and I was like, you know what? I hope so. (laughs) 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 I was like, I'm going to wear my Pat Ricard shirt today. And I put on my Pat Ricard shirt, and then boom, Pat Ricard signed back to the Ravens. um, Three-year deal looking to be about $4 a year, be the second highest paid tight end, or (laughs) second highest paid fullback in uh, the league, just behind course uh juice check and i felt like i manifested this by wearing his shirt i don't know if that's the case but i'll, I'll i'm gonna say that i manifested it by wearing the shirt uh you're welcome or i'm sorry to ravens fans out there based on how they feel about this pickup um it only took moments after pat ricard was signed for greg roman to trend on twitter because of course <laughs> everything's about greg roman oh, and uh yeah, was I everyone mean, sending thank you cards to Greg Roman for Pat Ricard being back? Was that why he was yeah. trending? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. sending lots of chocolates to his doorstep. You may or may not want to open the letters, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> they might be laced with something. <laughs> Just kidding. I have no idea. Please don't take that seriously. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, honestly, you know. Let's get this out there. You know, the Ravens signed a bunch of deals for big money, little money, but overall, they have very little impact on this year's cap. They have yet to have to restructure in order to get these deals done. They have that in their back pocket. They can restructure a couple deals pretty easily and then boom, go sign another big name. I think the thing is, like, you can kind of have it all if you really want with these kind of players. Um, by manipulating the cap. So I'm not too upset about this. Um, I don't know. People are upset about it because I think they're worried that, you know, we're going to have Pat Ricard in. It takes up a wide receiver slot, uh, you know, in our offense. They're going to go heavy. They're not embracing these lineups. And I think that's a valid point. And I think what's really clear from this offseason and the strategy so far and the words that have been said is that the Ravens think what they had installed in 2021 can work. It was just injuries that ruined it, both on the offensive line and in the running back room. Uh, And of course, you know, losing your quarterback for half the year. So I think they're just doubling down on this idea. And I don't think they're necessarily wrong. I truly think that Greg Roman's offense will hum and sing and flourish with good health. And it won't take too much for that to happen, right? Keep Lamar healthy, have at least one of those running backs available and I think it's a very different story than it was last year. And also the offensive line kind of improving from Moses and Stanley hopefully uh, getting back. I think, yeah, there's a lot of reason to think this is this is a good strategy. This can work. I think both can be true. I think that Pat Ricard can be, you know, a valuable piece on this offense. And, you know, the number of, of packages per game he's used in can decrease. Um, you know, I... So Pat Ricard, according to this article I'm looking at right now from Ravens.com, played on 57% of the Ravens' offensive plays last season, which, I don't know, I, someone who delves more into the, the film study would be able to tell you if that's too high or too low for someone like that. Um, but I, I think that the Ravens can have a dynamic passing offense, and still use Ricard in a lot of sets. I think that the issue is not Ricard. The issue is just maybe the Ravens in the past couple of seasons under Roman have weighed too heavily 
uh, too much on those packages. But if you dial it back a bit, you know, maybe it will be more effective because the defense isn't as prepared for it. Um, a guy like Ricard, you know, you look at it and defenses just aren't built in today's NFL to um, deal with a guy like that uh, with alignment size and tight end speed coming at you, uh, blowing up running lanes. And again, Tomlinson's gone. Not that he was a huge part of this team, but still blocking tight end who was serviceable at that. And as we discussed at the end of the season show, we don't know if Nick Boyle is ever going to be the athlete that he was um, prior to his uh, injury in 2020. I think Boyle can still be effective going forward, even if he's not, because he seems to be a guy who has a high football IQ. But physically, that's going to take away his effectiveness if he's not fully healed from that injury. So, um, you know, Ricard's only 27. He hasn't had any major injuries in his career. I think that the Ravens can still have a thriving offense while figuring out how to more efficiently use Ricard. And hopefully that's the direction they go. I think I agree with that. I I think my only reaction was that, you know, I, I was kind of mentally prepared for Ricard to uh, to be gone. I think uh, I, I think after we kind of saw some of the information out there, like, like oh, like, you know, these are how many snaps I've taken in tight end and, like, how many snaps I took a receiver kind of thing. Like, I could see him kind of posturing as a sort of fullback tight end hybrid and that somebody might bite on that and say, you know, oh, you know, we think we you could be our second tight end or, or something like that. And he might get a little bit more money. Um, I guess I am a little surprised that it seemed like nobody – I mean, I don't know if anybody gave an offer or if it's just that the market wasn't very hot for him. Maybe they weren't seeing that. and They were just like, nah, you're a fullback and we don't need you. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure what it was specifically, but, you know, at the end of the day, man, I mean, it's it's, it's going to be nice to have him back. Um, I agree with you guys. I, I think the it's not if the Ravens need a fullback or not. It's just like how effective is the offense going to be if he's in there or not, right? We need to have that 2019, 2020 rushing attack where – uh, we could pick up four or five yards, no problem. If he's in there on those plays and is able to help us pick up the first down whenever the situation calls for it, great. Uh, if he's in there and we're not getting first downs because we have you know not enough push on the O-line or our running backs aren't hitting the holes, that's a problem. I don't really think that's Ricard's problem because I think he's going to do his job no matter what. Uh, we just have to be effective when he's in there. And you know I think people will understand that you know, he's doing his job well, regardless of what's happening. It's just, I think the offense as a whole has to be effective. So um, at the end of the day, I think it just comes back to what you said, Alec, and that the offense is healthy. Roman's offense can work. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. Just talking about the fact that Tomlinson's gone and that Boyle's a big maybe at this point. I do expect the Ravens to draft a tight end fully in this draft, but them having three tight ends is not abnormal. seems like the Josh Oliver experience is over. So, I mean... This, this makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's fine. And um, if you see Pat Ricard, like, kind of improve his game and keep ascending as position and being more of a Swiss Army knife for this offense, I think it's a no-brainer. So I'm not upset about this at all. My T-shirt gets another three years of, like, high-quality wear, and I'm very excited. I think Omar's just got to find him, man. You know, yeah, he, I think he could do stuff with the ball and those, uh, those passes that he catches. He just never finds him. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So let's talk about the guys who got away. We'll start off with the most heartbreaking of them all. 
Bradley Bozeman is going to Carolina. Um, surprisingly cheap deal, 2.8 million total with like uh, a million change as his actual guaranteed salary. And then some bonuses for like workouts and starting. I couldn't believe how little of a market there was for Bozeman. I remember when we had Cole Jackson on, he was saying that maybe, you know, you could get him for three years, 7 million a year, something like that. He even get half of that. And it was only for a year. Um, I'm kind of depressed for the guy, and uh, I think I can say with full confidence the Ravens offered him more money than what he got with Carolina, um, but he decided to test the market, and it seemed like the market was not as strong as he expected. Honestly, of everything that we've talked about so far, this was the most shocking to me, um, that the best Bozeman could get was that one-year offer, and that he didn't come back to um, the Ravens' offer after that. Um, I mean, maybe part of it was, you know, like you're saying, Alec, that the Ravens need to hold some leverage power and not um, bring players back on the deal that they said they would um, after they refuse it. And I'm sure the Ravens weren't going to offer him more money when he came back uh, if he were. But very surprising. Um, it's it's a shame to see a guy go from a team, a guy who seemed like a very, you know, very involved in the community, great teammate, um, went after a, a better opportunity for more money and has to settle for a prove-it deal on a different team. So very surprising. Um, wish the best for Bozeman for his career, but uh, disappointing on both sides, certainly. Yeah, I mean, it couldn't have, I think the market couldn't have fallen worse for him. Um, it seemed like there were a lot of centers that were being released. Um, almost all of them just re-signed with their current team at a reduced salary. Um, you know, I mean, I I think Jason Kelsey was probably the first one to get signed, and he got a one year, but he, he got like a $12 million or something for a year. But obviously, Jason Kelsey is really good. Um, but yeah, after that, it just seemed like everybody was picking up centers. And yeah, I don't know. It's it's a little surprising. I. I mean, I kind of hear what you guys are saying about maybe the Ravens almost making an example. I, I, I mean, I, I could understand the Zedarius situation if they had agreed to something in principle and then said, like, no, nah, actually, hold on. Like, you know, we either we didn't like some part of the contract or they thought, like, uh, it's okay, but, like, we're going to also see what else, else is out there. I feel like Bozeman's situation is different. I mean, you could say no and then... Test, I mean, Ozzy talks about this all the time, right? About how, like, you know, we'd have an offer, but if you don't like it, like, you can test the market. That's fine. See what you can get out there. We'll try to match it. If not, like, that's fine. Like, you know, you have to do your, the best for you and your family and all that. I mean, I don't see why DaCosta would go against that, per se, but I also, I just can't imagine a world in which the, either the Ravens offered less than what Carolina offered, which seems insane, or... The other option, I guess, is that Bozeman didn't want to come back, but I don't. I also don't. I don't know how that would happen either. If I mean, maybe he was really upset at the offer at the time, and then kind of didn't come back out of pride. But that's just. I don't know. It seems a very strange situation to me. I, yeah, I, I mean, I really feel bad for him. Um, part of me wonders, I guess, if he would have, you know, if the Ravens had kept him at left guard, would the market have been any better for him? You know, would it would have been a little bit of a different situation. But then again, he may have picked up by the Bengals or something, in which case I guess this is better. 
at least you know for us as Ravens fans. But I don't know, man. I feel bad for him. Uh, he, he's a great player, he's a great dude. Uh, just I feel like he got he really got shafted this off season. In our upcoming segment, we'll talk about more moves that the Raiders made in the AFC West, but one of them was signing Anthony Averett to a one-year, $4.5 million deal. So he got actually about the deal we expected for him, um, a little bit of an improved deal outside of Baltimore. We'll see how it shakes out, how much playing time he gets with the Raiders, but I think that was a good pickup for them. Good pickup for the Raiders. Um, I tell you, Anthony Averett really became one of my guys uh, this past season. Um, I know he had some bad games. We had some really good games as well. I loved how he persevered uh, and really, I felt, played all out for a defense where players kept dropping. So um, good luck to him. Hopefully it works out for him with the Raiders. To round up the players that have left the Ravens, we had Eric Tomlinson to the Broncos, as we alluded to, and Josh Johnson to uh, – who was it? It's kind of indifferent about it. Didn't he go to Denver as well? I think you're right. Josh Johnson. Yep, he went to the Broncos. So he's uh, competing against Russell Wilson for <laughs> starting QB role. Oh, man. <laughs> Keep a close eye on that QB battle. <laughs> one of them was three first-round picks, and the other one's like almost vet minimum. Who will win? <laughs> There you go. Eric Tomlinson and Josh Gonson can be roommates in Denver. Good for them. <laughs> yeah. They actually are BFFs. Their wives are best friends. <laughs> Off-season podcasts are the best. <laughs> Indeed. So let's talk about this arms race we led off the show about, right? AFC arms race. You got the Bills. They got a bunch of players, man. They got Von Miller to a huge deal that, like you mentioned, Chris, Looks like the Joe Flacco deal of yore, but also is like the Joe Flacco deal in that it's only basically a three-year deal. The rest of it is very much easy to get out of, uh, just like Flacco's was. So you got that deal. They got Shaq Lawson, uh, Tim Settle, Daquan Jones, OJ Howard. You know, he's going to try to make his revival. Look out, Docs and Knox owners. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, of course, Duke Johnson. Can't can't quit. Duke Johnson J.C. McKissick did not sign with the Bills, so they got Duke Johnson, and they also uh, picked up uh, Saran Neal, quarterback. So they they load up their team mostly on the defense um, through free agency, and then you got the Chiefs. They got Justin Reed for three years, thirty million, and Juju Smith-Schuster for a year, kind of a tryout. Seems like for Juju, eleven million dollar deal. Yeah, I tell you the the. Juju pickup, I think, is going to be great for the Chiefs. Um, I think it's a definite upgrade in their wide receiver, wide receiver three mixed bag of Pringle, Hardman, and I don't know who the other guy, who the other guys off the top of my head right now. But like oh, Pringle's um, on the Bears. Yeah, well, I, I meant last year, but yeah, yeah oh, no, last right. year, last year, upgrade. Yeah, yeah gotcha. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's uh, another one. You know, Juju, <laughs> Juju story is so interesting, man. I mean supposedly the money that we offered him last year like turned that down to take a one-year deal with Pittsburgh and now like again a very very low amount of money that he got for the Chiefs like another prove it deal just it, it, it's really I, I think it's really interesting of just how some of the market shapes out for some people like this it feels like the quarterbacks are continuing to get more and more and more and more money but now it seems like all like some of these other position groups or players who really haven't proven that they're like top tier are getting like very little money in my opinion um you know maybe it's just teams realizing that 
you know, hey, if you're not the best, then so we might draft somebody to replace you, you know. Um, I, I don't know, but I, I thought that was pretty crazy. I'd say out of the Bills, though, honestly, we'll see. I, I mean, I think the Von Miller signing's good, but other than that, like, I don't know if I'm, like, like totally sold on some of the guys there. I mean, I think the, the one thing is um, they actually we haven't gotten to this yet, but they lost cornerback uh, Levi Wallace, who's an up-and-coming player for them. Uh, made a couple of plays against us in the playoffs, actually, um, 2020. Um, he was a good player, so now we're going to have to deal with him in the division. Um, <laughs> yeah, Duke Johnson, man. I, I tell you, if, like the, at least as far as like dynasty and stuff like that, if the Bills draft a running back, I'm picking them because none of the running backs that they have are worth anything right now. I mean, I, I've been a Singletary guy, but let's be honest. I mean, I don't think he's carrying the team. It's Josh Allen carrying the running rushing attack for the Bills. And none of the guys that they brought in, like Zach Moss is not the guy. Singletary's not really the guy. Duke Johnson's not the guy. They don't have anybody on their roster right now who is the guy at running back. So um, I think it's just an okay signing. I, I don't like. I guess they could roll with it if they want, but if, if you ask me if I'm a Bills fan, like you have to draft a running back because – it's just something like you can't have Josh Allen carrying that. You're paying him all that money to throw the football, not not to get worn out like Cam Newton. So, well, Juju and Jackson Mahomes are gonna have a good time making TikTok videos. That might be the biggest value he brings to the Chiefs. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, definitely uh, those two big contenders made some upgrades. Chargers made upgrades too. Big trade for Khalil Mack from the Bears for a second and a sixth rounder. They signed one of the best corners in free agency, J.C. Jackson, and also picked up Sebastian Joseph Day and Gerald Everett to round out their additions. And uh, yeah, I mean, they also like retained Mike Williams, so they have a lot of things going for them as well. Chargers definitely looking good, and they have an early draft pick. Yeah, I mean, what the Bills and the Chiefs did, I, I don't really think those moves really upped their stock terribly much, uh, particularly the Chiefs. I feel like um, Juju's a Sammy Watkins replacement one year later, and Reed is a direct replacement for Mateo. Um, but the Chargers, the moves the Chargers made were excellent. Um, re-signing Mike Williams, you know, Keenan Allen still has a couple more years in him, but... Mike Williams has finally become the first round pick that the Chargers drafted. That's huge for them to keep him there and pair him with uh, Justin Herbert. And these are splash signings on the defense here. These are guys who are, you know, uh, well, Khalil Mack, I think is a, a little up there, but Joseph Day and Jackson are still in their prime and they've got a lot of good football left in them and the Chargers defense, they need to shore that thing up. So this is a good step forward. Um, if I were them, I would definitely draft some defensive talent uh, with their early draft picks um, because you, you got the offense figured out there in that um, franchise. It's a defense they need to shore up. So the Chargers, those are excellent moves right there. Great moves there. Yeah, you know, also had really good moves, which is unfortunate for us. Um, the Bengals put a lot of money in free agency this year as well. Uh, re-signing defensive tackle B.J. Hill. Uh, they brought back Jesse Bates on the franchise tag. Uh, Eli Apple got another one-year deal. Um, one or two, actually, I can't remember. Who cares? He's toast. Um, <laughs> and they spent a lot of money on their offensive line. Uh, brought in a guard from the Bucks, uh, Alex Kappa, uh, Ted Karras from the Patriots. He's going to take over their center. 
And uh, recently they just signed Leo Collins as well from the Cowboys who released him. Um, it was another one of those guys I think the Ravens could have been interested in, but I, I think his injury history maybe um, probably turned them off a little bit on him. Um, and then, unfortunately, our boy Hayden Hurst, um, I think he's dead to me now. So um, <laughs> <laughs> they, they they signed him to to a one-year deal, I think, as well. So, uh, yeah, man, the, the Bengals are putting a ton of money in their offensive line. So Burrow's going to have uh, no excuses anymore. He's, he's going to have his offensive line that he needs. That O-line, those wide receivers, and Hayden Hurst, Joe Mixon, ah. Uh. That's an offense right there, man. Like, that's really good. I'm uh, quite nervous about lining up against them. Yeah. Although, actually, well, all bias aside, I mean, do we think Hayden is an upgrade over Uzama, though? Because Uzama did leave for the Jets. I think he's a slight upgrade. Yeah, I do. From a receiving standpoint, yeah. I mean, Uzama's the better blocker, but um, I think Hurst is a better receiver. How good? We'll have to see. Um, But... Yeah, from a uh, from a receiving standpoint, certainly. The Broncos made a lot of moves, free agency. They traded the farm to get Russell Wilson. They got the illustrious Eric Tomlinson, as we mentioned multiple times to show. Uh, they also got DJ Jones, defensive tackle, uh, outside linebacker Randy Gregory, and linebacker Josie uh, Jewell. So that's a lot of pickups in their defense, too. I mean, that's that's a team that already had a good defense. They're uh, looking to expand that. They have young pass catchers. They got Russell Wilson. They got a young back that Peter's enamored with. I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that there's a there's a chance there, man. Like that's. Uh, you know, I, Peter mentioned last episode. He's not sure that the Broncos could be turned around by Russell Wilson. I'm kind of curious to hear why, because that sounds like a strong team. I, I don't know. It, the Broncos, outside of the Peyton Manning years, it, it feels like. They, they consistently underachieve. Like, they've got a bunch of talent, and they just end up not doing what is expected in preseason. And you're looking at that wide receiver core as well. It has a chance to be pretty good, but every one of those guys has big injury history. I mean, Jer- Jerry Judy, great talent, hasn't played a full season in the NFL yet. Cortland Sutton obviously had a huge injury two years ago um kj hamler's been hurt uh tim patrick i can't remember but if he's like the rest of them he has um (laughs) and that's a tough division too you gotta play the chiefs twice uh you gotta play the chargers twice we talked about how the Chargers have revamped the raiders are a wild card uh raiders also i mean we haven't got to them yet but they spent a ton of i mean they made some big moves in free agency too yeah, so, I mean, the AFC is just so stacked. I think if the AFC wasn't as stacked, sure, I would say the Broncos at least make the wild card. I could see them being the 8 or 9 seed this year. I really could. And Javonta Williams will still break out and be the number one overall fantasy running back. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think at the end of the day, man, it's just, I mean, we haven't gotten some yet, but I mean, the Browns trading for Deshaun Watson. Uh, the Steelers picked up Trubit. I mean, Trubisky's not the same. Oh, I have thoughts about Cleveland when we get <laughs> we'll, there. I have thoughts. We'll get there in a second. But <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, the Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Trubisky, I mean, you have all these teams bringing in who, you know, for the most part had pretty good rosters or, you know, average rosters bringing in these top-tier quarterbacks in the AFC. I mean, 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think the you know the newsreel has kind of had it right. It's just it's an arms race. It's like the AFC is going all in. Particularly, the AFC West is going all in to try and just build these crazy rosters to compete with the Chiefs um, and the rest of the AFC. Uh, to some extent, I guess the AFC North is doing it too. But we, I mean, at least the Bengals and the Ravens, we already have quarterbacks, so we didn't really have to do anything there. But yeah, it's just. I mean, it's. I mean, it's funny. We were talking about how this. Uh, the uh, fourth place schedule was supposed to be really good, and um, <laughs> it's just you know we're playing the the Broncos now, and we're like okay, the Broncos got Wilson. We're playing, you know, all these teams that we thought weren't going to be very good, and it's like oh now they've upgraded a, quite a bit. So um, Tom Brady coming back now we have to play the Bucks as well. So um, it's crazy. Yeah, it's going to be quite a year. I think we should talk about the Raiders real quick before we get to the rest of the division. Uh, they made a pretty big move to go get Devonte Adams add to their team who apparently really wanted to play with Derek Carr, his old college teammate again. Okay. Uh, <laughs> defensive tackle Bilal Nichols went there. Uh, defensive end Chandler Jones, who we talked about kind of resetting the market. And of course, uh, Anthony Averett all went to the Raiders. You know, the Raiders made the playoffs last year and um, didn't do much with that <laughs> as anticipated. Mm-hmm. They almost beat the Bengals. They they came very close to stopping the Bengals' miraculous run. I mean, I suppose. I guess I was never afraid of them, though, right? Like, Well, yeah, the Ravens weren't in there. There was nothing to be afraid of. We were already out. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm just talking about, like, I'm just talking about, like, you know, the NFL at large. I don't think anyone was too worried about the Raiders making a run. But uh, anyways, I mean, they're, they're definitely the fourth best team in their division still, in my opinion. But Nope, third. Oh my God! You're so. <laughs> I'm, gonna about I'm just gonna own it, you know. I, I, I I'm gonna own it. <laughs> I, I I don't see that, but I, I I think the Raiders in other divisions could be really good, but they're stuck in a division that's just out of this world. I I don't understand how basically all the talent has coalesced on basically the AFC West, the AFC North, and like a touch of the NFC. Like that's the talent pool. It's wild. I mean, obviously the Bills are good too, but like, you know what I mean? Like, just like, yeah. so concentrated. <laughs> like, part of me is wondering just like, why this year? Because it's not like, um, it's like the Chiefs have been around. It's 2018, 2019. They've clearly been here. And I mean, I guess maybe you could say the other teams, like they've tried drafting really well to, you know, get some of these like young quarterbacks. Like you've got Burrow and you've got Herbert. And you've got these teams that are trying to build around their quarterbacks. So, I mean, maybe they gave it a go for a few years and like, okay, we'll see how it goes. And may, I don't, but I just don't know why all of a sudden now it's just like, okay, everyone spend all the money and like build these like crazy rosters. Just try to get as many pass rushers or whatever in here. It's just, I mean, maybe, maybe it's what they saw from the Bengals. They're like, they turned it around in one year and they're like, we're going to do that. <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe uh but it, it's just it, it's crazy to me how it just seemed like overnight all of a sudden one year they're like okay we're all in we're putting all our chips on the table well speaking of going all in uh we have to talk about this uh my least favorite team the browns obviously uh <laughs> trading for deshaun watson um insane insane trade now was it three three first round picks yeah they threw in an extra pick it's a two pick and a day three pick, and they have to pay him $230 million or something, which most of which is guaranteed. That's right. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? 
So I, let's just talk about the rest of the team too. So they got Amari Cooper in a trade, <laughs> Taven Bryan, the defensive tackle, Anthony Walker retained, um, and Joku was kept. They got rid of Austin Hooper, defensive end Chase Winovic. Uh, but yeah, that that Watson guy, soon to I be mean, number sixty nine. <laughs> by the way, I don't know. Did you see that? No. He was tweeting. It was like Cleveland. I have like between sixty nine and. 98 or something pick my number <laughs> you know what that's gonna be yeah of course nice um yeah i mean i hate the fact that we're gonna have to mention deshaun watson twice a year in our podcast for the foreseeable future because they gave him the bag you know it sounds like he's a pretty deplorable guy i don't think he's actually that good at football the browns admitted that they aren't that good at uh talent evaluation by giving away f- three first round picks uh and giving up on baker I think um, a lot of people think that Deshaun Watson's good. If you look at his games against good opponents, uh, it would say something else. And I understand that he probably has a really nice ranking in Madden. But um, in Madden, when you're controlling Deshaun Watson, you can take away one of his uh, biggest problems is his brain, his ability to process, taking sacks, um, you know, not hitting the right guy. You can take care of that, use his natural gifts. But um, unfortunately, you know, Deshaun Watson, he can't do that in the NFL. So I'm kind of glad he's in the division because I don't think he's a threat, but at the same time, like annoyed by it. I, it just is super frustrating to me that a guy who has 22 women, um, you know, saying different things about what he's done to them, uh, gets $180 million guaranteed or some ludicrous of some, um, and he's not even that good. Like, <laughs> I don't think he's that good. Um, and then other players, you know, who bet $1,500 on a parlay can't play for a whole year, maybe more. Um, I don't I don't get it, but it makes the NFL hard to root for sometimes. But, uh, yeah, that's what we got now in our division. The Browns, going to Brown. Well, that's the other confusing thing apart this deal for me, um, of, among many confusing things, because there's so much to unpack here. And, and, good gosh, a week ago, I did not think we would be talking about Deshaun Watson, new quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. But from my understanding, not all of his legal charges have been dropped yet, right? He's probably not going to get in jail. He'll probably settle out of court for the other civil suits, and he'll probably get some sort of suspension But uh, in the first year. But yeah, I mean, basically, he won't be behind bars at this point. Right. But I still wonder, like, I don't know. It seems like a giant gamble for Cleveland, even from a football perspective, which I'll get to. But, <laughs> you know, I tell you what, Ray Rice was really incredibly unlucky. Um, obviously, what Ray Rice did was a despicable action that no man should ever do. But at the same time, there have been other players in the NFL who have done as worse or worse, and have still continued their careers. They just didn't happen to have a, a videotape clearly showing something um, where there was no denial as to what it was. I, and th- that is still in the back of my mind. What if Deshaun Watson d- never plays another snap of football because public outcry is gets too big? I don't think that's going to happen. Again, because I think the only reason that it happened with Ray Rice was because there's a videotape. Not saying that that was correct, but that's just kind of, you know, our society's kind of visual. 
Good gosh. Never mind. Let me roll that hole back. I don't think I want to talk about that. I think you should talk about it, man. I think All that, right. I mean, this is the sad truth is that there's like other things. Let's put it this way. I just want to make sure that I'm p- picking my words carefully because this is a very, you know, delicate, real yeah. subject as far as, you know, sexual harassment and, you know, making sure that women are safe and feel safe. And obviously we were not there. We don't know what happened between Deshaun Watson and these women besides what has been reported in the news. That being said, what has been reported is really not good. So you do have to wonder if, you know, he's going to get suspended, I would imagine, for some amount of games. And during that suspension, if some, if public resentment builds against him like it did with Ray Rice. Ray Rice got suspended and he was expected to come back in 2014, but then didn't because the public outcry was so big. What if he made this giant trade and that happens? Again, it, it seems unlikely because Ray Rice is the only player for which this is this happened, but that's still among the possibility. And I know we've talked a lot about Baker Mayfield and about how, you know, he's he's not... He, it didn't seem like he was coming to become a Pro Bowl, all-pro quarterback um, that was deserving of the number one overall pick. But the guy was solid. You know, I, I don't think we ever said that, that he was terrible. We just said that, you know, he wasn't super great. And uh, my wife's advisor, uh, while she was doing her PhD, had a good saying um, that she told me. And he, according to her, he used to say a lot of times, you know, uh, better is often the enemy of the good. And in this situation, I think that's what Cleveland did. You had a solid quarterback. You've never had a solid quarterback. In Baker Mayfield, this guy played through injury last year, which wasn't a smart decision on his part, but still, he he went out there. He battled when he shouldn't have, and you spurned him by giving up all these draft picks for a quarterback who's not a big-game quarterback, like Alec mentioned, is coming into a situation where he has... Amari Cooper and no one else practically as his offensive weapons. What the hell are you doing, Cleveland? This is, it, it makes zero sense. And then Deshaun Watson, you're going to Cleveland over Carolina where you could play with DJ Moore, over Atlanta where you could play with Kyle Pitts, over New Orleans where you could play with Michael Thomas. I guess you're getting the best offensive line of those four options, which, you know, it doesn't surprise me that that's where you want to go. But God, I can't keep talking about this. There's so many things that get me fired up about this in not a good way. Like, I don't care about the Browns, but that's just bad organization. And, like, everything we're saying about everything surrounding Watson, oh, man. Like I said, I have a lot of thoughts about it, but I I think you can pencil in the Browns for fourth in the division already. If for no other reason, then they're probably going to have to start Jacoby Brissett for at least half the year. (laughs) But don't worry. The NFL will make sure the schedule is such that all their uh, hard games in the second half of the year where they have Watson. (sighs) (sighs) I got them. Don't worry. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. It. I mean, it's certainly a gamble. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't. I can't fully say I understand what their front office is doing. It definitely seems like a gamble to know, like, okay, what are we? You know, are we going to get anything out of them this year, if at all? Um, and you know, how much? It, it, it almost feels like the front office is like trying to like, like they're, they're playing money ball, or they're they're like they're trying to like be really serious and really ruthless in terms of like roster construction you know, ignoring all the things that we just talked about and all of the, like, the very real things that have happened and surrounded this guy. Um, but they're kind of looking at it of, like, okay, you know, Baker is, like, the X-ranked quarterback and Deshaun is, you know, plus 10, 
or you know however many QBs ahead of him in like the global like you know NFL ranking and that's like purely what they're basing their decision on is like an upgrade on there um to me man like just the whole thing now just like putting together what happened last year with Baker like I honestly I feel a little bad for him I feel like what ended up happening is that Baker was picked up by the previous management and then Stefanski and uh I don't remember the GM, Andrew, somebody. He's actually from Maryland. Their GM, they inherited him. And so year three, they're probably like, eh, he's okay. We'll see what happens year four. I feel like now year four with like that injury that he had early on, it was like a calculated Baker wanted to play because he wanted to show that he was tough. And then the front office kind of let him do that because they're like, oh, well, if he sucks, we can just cut bait. He wasn't our quarterback to begin with. But if he's okay then like okay fine we'll like throw a bone or not you know they just pick a new quarterback anyway like if it feels to me like this is the plan all along and they just did baker dirty by letting him play through that injury knowing that they wouldn't get to bring him back anyway that's just i don't i would never want to work for somebody like that that's just a move um i mean i i I don't think that you know to my knowledge i don't think the ravens have ever pulled that um i really hope they never do i mean i just i think that i all the, I think what all what you guys said all about Deshaun, the issues that he's going to have to deal with, I think that's totally true, totally fair. I agree with all that. Um, from the other lens, I just, I, I just, you know, this reinforces for me that the Browns is a shit organization. Like you don't, you know, you don't bring in people like that. You don't treat the people that you have in house like that. I just, it's just, it's unacceptable. I'll add to this. Listen to this, guys. This is the best part of the whole situation, in my opinion. The Browns absolutely have to cut ties with Baker Mayfield, right? Like they, they, they gotta they trade have him. To. They need right. the cap money, right? They need the cap money. You know what else they need? They need to trade him, and and they're not gonna be able to for anything <laughs> because everyone knows they have all their eggs in the Sean Watson basket. But they need to get rid of him to get him off the books to be able to actually complete the deal. Yeah. Therefore, <laughs> in conclusion. <laughs> They're gonna so they're going to give up their 2025 first-round pick? Yeah, they're going to have to trade him and a first-round pick in 2025. <laughs> yeah, a 2023 second-round pick and Baker God. for your sixth-round pick. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, and at, this gonna... point, at this point, who are, their, who are their potential buyers? Carolina? Who else? Seattle, maybe, but they may be in full rebuild. Atlanta? Yeah, it's like uh, Seattle, Atlanta could use Maybe, them. but they might be in full rebuild. <laughs> so Yeah. Well, Atlanta got Mariota. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I thought a three-way trade would have made more sense, but now the Colts have a uh, they have Matt Ryan, so there's I mean there's no need for them to do that. <laughs> yep. I mean I think the Saints could maybe get him. I think he's better than Jameis. But anyways, hey, breaking news before we talk about the Steelers. Do 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 do. The Lions have agreed to terms with Chris Board on a one-year deal. So. Oh, you f- serious? Yeah, yeah. Correspondent Kfish no. broke the news. It could be fake news. We know what he said about Ricard before <laughs> Ricard was a real deal. But no. uh, that is uh, oh, that's sad. Mike Garofalo, Garofalo, whatever said. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about those Steelers. The Steelers went ahead and they got Mitch Trubisky. Seems like a bridge quarterback. I wouldn't be shocked if the Steelers still draft a guy. Uh, like if Willis is there, for instance, they might draft him. But uh, got Mitch Trubisky there. They retained. Um, Chawukama Okafor. They also uh, added James Daniels and center Mason Cole 
to their offensive line. So it looks like they're retooling that offensive line. They got Miles Jack from the Jaguars. And last but not least, as I think Chris mentioned, or maybe it was Peter, one of the two. Can't be wrong if I say it both. Uh, <laughs> Levi Wallace um, <laughs> for the, uh, from the Bills, cornerback, went to the Steelers. So the Steelers made some solid moves to, you know, kind of keep their team somewhat relevant. I think, uh, you know, maybe Mitch has a revival and a better organization or uh, they draft a quarterback. But, I mean, the rest of the team around them is not that bad. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Steelers have proven they can win with subpar quarterback play. So I don't think Trubisky is going to be a long-term answer for them. I do expect them to draft a quarterback this year or next year if they, you know, they're also a team like the Ravens. They like to draft the best player available uh, over need more often than not. But, yeah, they've got the pieces around Trubisky on the offense, and they've still got a huge amount of players' talent on the defense. So, you know, I could fully expect the Steelers to challenge the Ravens and the Bengals for the AFC North title this year. No problem. For a brief moment, I was considering Miles Jack as like a really solid under-the-radar signing for the Ravens to pick up a linebacker, maybe an upgrade over... uh, Ford and Bynes, maybe get him for like a two-year deal or something. Immediately, once I heard of Pittsburgh, I was like, "You're dead to me." <laughs> that's, that's my own, that's my only reaction to all the Steelers stuff. So, all right. So to bring this uh, podcast back to about the Baltimore Ravens, um, what do we think the Ravens still need to do this off season uh, to make it, you know, a 100% win? As we said, we've liked what they've done so far. They've made some great moves. Um, Obviously, the draft is coming up. Uh, what, are, what are the other areas of need that we expect the Ravens to uh, to address in the coming rest of the offseason? I'm interested in the Ravens getting Calais Campbell back. I think it makes a lot of sense for both parties. I think that would be a great addition, obviously, to the team. So get Calais. And then, um, you know, maybe there's another move or two to be made. Uh, maybe they can find another tackle prospect in free agency that's cheap, or they can, uh, I mean, honestly, just chill. You know, I think Calais is the one guy. Maybe bring Houston back, one of the two. Maybe both, if you're so inclined, if they can do it. And uh, call it good. I think overall they address things, man. They're going to be able to go into the draft. Best player available at that first pick. Do it with confidence. Be excited. High-five the room. I feel like the team's pretty good. Um, they definitely need corner depth. You know, they're they're short on corners right now. I don't know if there's necessarily a sign that needs to be made or if they're just going to use two-plus draft picks. I lean towards that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is good. I think it's fine. Um, you know, you look at these teams that spent a lot of money, and you're like, oh, wow, the Bengals, like, they got that offensive line now. They got Hayden Hurst. They got a defense. Like, watch out. And I, I think that's fair. I think the Bengals are going to be a really good team. I think a lot of these teams are going to be really, really good teams. But at the end of the day, um, yeah, they got to play the games. People are going to get injured. Um, it'll all shake out in the end. I think there's only so much that the Ravens can really do. And uh, I think they've done a lot this offseason. And they'll continue to do things. So it's fine, man. You know, we were saying the Vegas has them like 11th best chance to win the Super Bowl which feels low. I could see him being closer to seven or six. And that feels good enough to me. Cause like, you know, it's coin flip, man. They got to play the games that you got. A lot of people aren't talking about the ascendancy that you could see out of young players. They're not talking about, um, you know, injuries. So, you know, it's whatever. I think it's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. 
I think you hit the nail right on the head there. Um, cornerback depth, obviously losing Tavon Young uh, and Anthony Averett. Uh, Chris, Westby. Chris Westry is uh, still on the open market, I believe. <laughs> yeah, we could use Chris. We definitely should try to go inside him. Yeah, but um, yeah, figuring out you know a player or two who can uh, replace Peters, replace uh, you know Humphrey still has many more years than him. But yeah, they need more depth at the cornerback position. You know, we talked uh, last episode about how you know gave as an example a free agency period where the Ravens did a really good job uh, the 2014 offseason fixed a lot of obvious holes and an unobvious hole cornerback depth ended up biting them in the butt and was basically the reason they didn't beat the Patriots in the playoffs so um, just try and plug the, the less obvious holes with some contingency plans and I think they'll be ready to compete for a top seed in the AFC once again all right guys well I think that about wraps it up uh, thanks for sticking with us with the free agency uh, review here. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we'll be coming back in the next couple of weeks, I think, f- to do some draft preview. Uh, we're definitely excited with all these new young players that are uh, coming out of college and we're going to see who the Ravens are going to pick. Uh, it's going to be a really good time, so uh, stay tuned. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Ravens underscore recap, or you can send us feedback at feedback at ravensrecap.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, adios.